forever. Dog. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writers Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh yeah! Welcome to the show. Thank you all so much. I have here the team from Infinity Train, uh, and I'm thrilled to talk to you all. Um, I'd love for you to introduce yourselves so the listener knows what you sound like when you speak. Uh, and let's start with Owen, uh, and then anyone can jump in after that. Uh, my name is Owen Dennis, and I sound like this. Uh, sometimes you're going to be like, oh, that sounds a little bit like Sad One. That's because I'm also the voice of Sad One, and uh, it's the only kind of character I can play. So this is what I sound like, and here I am. <laughs> oh, and, and tell us, too, uh, other than being Sad One, uh, what do yeah. you do on the show? Uh, I'm the creator of Infinity Train, and I tell other people what to do. I don't have to do it myself. And that's pretty great. <laughs> uh, I just, I made the show, and uh, these, everyone here is our writers, and they're all talented, and you're about to hear what they say. Well, they're not all writers, <laughs> Owen. Some of us right. are supervising producers. <laughs> no, but, but you wrote, you did write. <laughs> um, which episode did you do? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You wrote, yeah, you wrote me that email uh, yeah, one you're time. You really talented. You did uh, one of those, uh, one of those, those uh... <laughs> Well, uh, since I already interjected, I'm going to say I'm Madeline Carrypel, the supervising producer on Infinity Train. Um, yeah. And I, I, I'm there for a lot of the same stuff Owen is. Uh, Justin, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Justin Michael. I am a writer. <laughs> Alex? Uh, I am Alex Horeb. I am also a writer. And Lindsay. And I'm Lindsay Kate. I am a writer as well. Great. Thank you again for being here. Um, it seems like this is sort of the team. I mean, I was looking, I was sort of poking around about the show, and it's it seems like it's a pretty small operation, which surprised me. Um, I'm curious to hear how that works. Is is that on you? I mean, most of you have been in animation. Uh, this isn't your first show. You've been on a bunch of these animated shows. Is that unusual for an, a show like this? It's unusual for shows I've been part of. Most of the shows I've experienced are storyboard driven, which is mm -hmm. usually the showrunner, a few writers, maybe like two or three work with other uh, people up top to make the outlines for an episode, which is usually about a three-page document for an 11-minute episode. And then that gets handed to the storyboard artists who then write more detailed dialogue, jokes, and draw the whole episode. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yeah, and this is a room-driven show, right? Yeah, I mean, it, at Cartoon Network, it's almost always the storyboard-driven thing. And then ours was experimental by having a writer's room. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Um, I was also in a, a writer, an animated show, uh, writer-room-driven show um and mm -hmm. it was great i mean it functioned in a lot of ways like you know a non-animated show um yeah. owen was this part of the design from early on why why go that route and and am i wrong that you were you are and were a storyboard artist yourself yeah i worked on regular show with maddie mm -hmm. um yeah so i was a writer and board artist on regular show and then we did a little bit of stuff on close enough and then we got uh this 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 show <laughs> Uh, whatever yeah, it was, is. Yeah, whatever is going on Keep here. Keep saying the name. How else are you going to plug it? <laughs> Infinity Train. Yeah, I'm, I'm really bad at it. Uh, 
Um, so, well, basically, I feel like there's advantages and disadvantages to the two different styles. So I think that if you're making a whole lot of episodes and you want, um, you want people just sort of go their own direction and have that sort of freedom, I think that's really great for storyboard-driven shows. But for script-driven shows, I think the advantage of a script-driven show is that you can be very, very meticulous in like, oh, we want to get to this point by this episode and this point by this episode. And we have to make sure that this little piece of information was back here at this point and like setting all that stuff up. Um, so you can be, it just, it just feels like it lends itself more to like a strong storyline or through line versus a board driven show, which is, it's just slightly different feels. And that makes a lot of sense. And it makes sense, um, especially having watched the show, you know, seeing how things in episodes one and two pay off in 10 and then in the second season. Um, so yeah, having that, having someone with that overall, uh, that overview makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Tell me about selling this show. Uh, who who was there from the beginning? Uh, it sounds like the two of you were Owen and Madeline. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Although Owen did the pilot before I came on board. Okay. Um, so uh, Owen, tell tell us about you know the creation of this show and then bringing on the team. Uh, so. I thought of the show in like 2010, I think it was, and on a on a flight back from China to the U.S. over like the ocean, and I sort of woke up and I was like, "Oh, this is weird," because I was looking around, seeing like all these people that were like staring into screens, and it was just a weird feeling. So I sort of went off of that tone in creating the show, just like waking up in a place that doesn't feel comfortable and is strange, um, and. Pitching the show was basically, uh, I walked I, I walked up to the creative executives and I was sort of like, I have this idea for a show, you want to hear it? And they're like, yeah. And then I pitched them an idea that was like, oh, it's like a girl on a train. And, uh, and the train is uh, every different car is a different universe. And that's like, that's like all that I really had <laughs> for the pitch. I had like a couple of drawings and like that was about it. And then over the this course is, of, well, let me let me pause you yeah, there, sorry, and, and I apologize. I'm going to interrupt all of you a few times because I want to dig in. How on dare this you? Stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, do. Go ahead. Yeah. Don't forget who controls the mute button. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's a tyrant. It's true. Um, I I think it's you know we have a lot of new writers who listen to this show, and yeah. we should say this is not usual. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> that's, no. This is that's this an is, easy pitch. <laughs> This has helped specifically because I was already working at Cartoon Network. Yeah. I was already a, I don't want to say known presence, but they, you know, <laughs> like that guy. But worked, I do. And I did. I don't want to say a God among men. <laughs> <laughs> Groveling at I mean, my <laughs> day after day, walking the halls of the CN. I would say I was known in that they could look at their payroll and see like, yeah, he's worked here for a couple of years. <laughs> like, that's about it. Um, <laughs> uh, so I think it, Cartoon Network is very much a hire from within kind of yeah. network. They absolutely take pitches from other people, but they definitely like to, you know, push people up through their own mm-hmm. shows and stuff. So because I was there, they already were more willing to take these sort of chances. And Cartoon Network in general is also willing to take strange chances on what pitches should even look like and be. Mm-hmm. So 
So Cartoon Network specifically, and because I was working at Cartoon Network, <laughs> that's that's why I was able to make this pitch. And I'm also very really running through it quickly on like, yeah, yeah I just wrote this thing and then uh, you know, a couple <laughs> months later and a year later it was done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. So you pitch them, you know, essentially it's a girl on a train and every train is a different universe, which like, right. I get it. That's, that's a hooky pitch. Um, what did the development process look like after that? Um, well, they had a, they wanted a, um, let's see what they, they wanted a, a Bible, like a whole Bible for like what the show was going to be like. Cause I didn't really have a Bible when I went in I had like, five pages of mm-hmm. drawings and a couple of sentences. So they wanted a show Bible and they wanted, and so we worked on that a few times and then we would pitch that to the next level mm-hmm. up and then they would give the approval on that. And if it was sort of like this stepped process where it's like at each one of those, I could have stopped being paid and stopped yeah. having, <laughs> <laughs> stopped having it keep yeah. going. Just live um, in constant fear that at any moment they could pull yeah. the plug. <laughs> yeah, just wonderful. Um, um, I'm curious to hear, um, and then I, I do want to bring all of you in on the, a similar question, but I'm curious to hear. I thought they were um, just here to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, they're here, on the show is. They're here to fact check you. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> during that process of uh, development and sort of refining the Bible and then the script and all that, um, what did you to you, what was the show about going in and then how was that refined over that process? Um, I thought the show was about change and it's, and it became even more about that. But like early on, I was sort of like, I don't know, it feels like it needs to be something where a person is experiencing this thing. And then over time they change in some way. I mean, it was enough about that, that like, I didn't have the, the, I guess it's sort of a spoiler thing, but there's numbers on people's hands. That's not a spoiler, but there's numbers on people's hands and they represent something. <laughs> and, and well, let's, let me, let really, me say two seasons yeah. are out. If you haven't True. watched it yet, go watch it. And also who cares about spoilers? We're all adults here. Okay. All right, fine. <laughs> so there's numbers on people's hands and uh, the numbers represent like sort of how close you are to what the train thinks your personal sort of internal goal should be. Um, so the more it gets down to zero, if it gets down to zero, you're allowed to like leave the train and whatever, live your life, I guess. Train says you're fixed. Get out of there. You're good to go. Um, and if it doesn't get down to zero, then you're just stuck there until it does. Um, but I didn't even really have that number thing when I first started it. Like when I first started, I was just like, yeah, she's on a train and then uh, she's going to the front because she wants to. <laughs> and I didn't have much to it, um, but it was specifically executive notes that they were like, is there like, here's a phrase that I'm sure everyone's heard. Is there some sort of like ticking clock that we can add to this? <laughs> At the time I was like, yeah, I guess, I don't know. I'd never heard of the phrase ticking clock. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and uh, I have since heard it a lot um but <laughs> but um so i was like i don't know sure uh and then i started thinking about like any sort of clocks and stuff and i was like oh, numbers a number uh, on her hand i don't know and like that's sort of how that came to be so like there are like i feel like often there's this idea of like um executives are like the bad guys or something they're 
not. They're, they want it to succeed just as much as anyone else does because if it succeeds, then everybody gets the glory. It's great. Uh, and so I feel like, you know, there, there are a lot of like good notes that come out of executives. And like the number thing is definitely one of them. Um, I forgot how I got on this tangent. No, that, that makes sense. It's sort of realizing the specifics of the show. And I, I want to bring yeah. in um, the team now. So how did the team come together? Uh, how did you come to hire these writers? Um, and then I kind of want to ask a similar question to all of you about sort of realizing the show as you went. But, but let's talk about bringing together uh, this group. Uh, so Maddie was first. Uh, <laughs> so, so like after the pilot was eventually finished and that took like a year plus, I think, and then it was released. Uh, I developed a rough story on like what I thought it should be where it's like maybe this kid about like divorce and stuff. Cause I want it to be about change and like understanding and accepting how change affects your life and that sort of thing. And so I was thinking like, well, what kind of person would, achieve the most from a train where every single train car is absolutely different. Like who would get the most out of that? And it would be someone who's sort of like the opposite of that. Um, and so I made a rough story on what that should be. And then Maddie came and uh, so did Cole Sanchez, who is no longer with us. <laughs> you don't have to say it like that. Yeah. I mean, he's alive. He's in this he's, mortal coil. So yeah, don't worry he's still, about that. He's still here. So, uh, yeah. He's a big presence on adventure time and now he's yeah. on summer camp Island. He's, he's doing fine. He's, so fine. he's great. <laughs> he's almost too good yeah. for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You might say, so, uh, so, he saw Maddie, the exit and ran. Yeah. <laughs> Maddie, what were you doing at this point? Um, and, and had you two worked together before? Uh, yeah, we were both on regular show okay. as storyboarders, though not in the same team, just, around the office together. And also technically we went to college together though. We didn't really know each other back no, then. Not really. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. Owen asked me if I'd like to come on board and help out with the show. And I said, yeah, I think, uh, were we on close enough at that point or was it still regular show? Mm -hmm. Owen took a big bite. So we don't get to know. Of, I took Owen. a big bite of breakfast. <laughs> well, I thought it was Maddie's turn to talk. <laughs> it was my turn to talk, so I thought maybe it was time for me to eat. Um, okay. Professional. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I think we were working on close enough at that point. Okay, yeah. Just because um, for reference, the end of longer than I had. Mm, yeah, the the end of regular show, we all rolled right into close enough from the mm -hmm. finale, and um, uh, but yeah, and so we just. Uh, we kept meeting up us with Cole and uh, trying to come up with premises for uh, we had originally envisioned it as 10 episodes sort of after over the garden walls example. Um, and yeah, we were just trying to come up with 10 premises, 10 outlines. How do we get them hooked? And yeah, yeah I think. Was it, uh, yeah. Was, was it still the reasons? Go ahead. I was just saying one of the reasons we went with following over the garden walls example was because it felt like it might be a little bit easier to sell that way, <laughs> which is like, you already made a, a short series that was 10 episodes and it was a single arc. Here you go. You already did it. So we were sort of like, look at us too. We can do the same thing. And then like go from, go from yeah. There. So also that was the story. Go ahead. Story, yeah. That was baked in for it to be a finite series. Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
yeah, so it just felt like, well, why drag out this poor girl being stranded on a train any longer <laughs> than she has to be? Um, That's smart. Uh, but yeah, so a lot of the process of trying to sell it was trying to crystallize the idea of each episode premise. Like, what is the mm-hmm. one thing that we can say that'll make you excited and express what it's about? Like, that was yep. took a lot of time to whittle it down. What were what are some examples of that from that season? I know it's a, it was a while ago, but if you can think back, like what is that distilling of the essence of an episode? I guess it's trying to find the balance between how many questions do they want answered in it and how much do they just want to be enticed by the idea of what... I think you get farther sort of letting people come up with what they think it's going to be because then they're excited about it. Well, like, Ooh, it's going to be like this. And then you're like, "Uh huh, mm-hmm. it is good. Right. You yeah. like it like that. Green light. Uh, so you I, can make it. I remember the very yeah. final version. Um, and Toby Jones, my boyfriend, current boyfriend, uh, as I once, <laughs> as I once said on a Comic-Con panel and will never live down. Uh, <laughs> Maybe cut that. We'll see. Uh, he, Don't cut it. <laughs> uh, he also helped us out at that stage. It was like one of our final pitches to the executives. And um, we basically made a bunch of joke premise pitches almost. Like, uh-huh. I think it was episode eight. It was like Atticus goes dog wild. <laughs> Something like yeah. that. I think we also had a mall episode in that first in the, the first, the, when we actually yeah. had the mall, which shows up in the second season, we originally had that in the first season. Yeah, and we had six. it like, to, what was it? Something like Tulip finds a mall. Or was it an endless mall? Like it was like, yeah. like question marks and stuff. Like, wow, yeah. what could that be? And like these weird jokey, like, let's make a joke out of it. Yeah, and we <laughs> included extended, so they could look into it more if they wanted. But hey, yeah. this sounds good, right? It lets it lets whoever wants to delve deeper into it delve deeper, and then whoever. It's just like scanning it quick, just like scanning through it quick. <laughs> and was the, I'm curious to hear about like in those, in those kinds of documents or those kinds of pitches, is the um, emotional story side by side with the sort of high concept genre story or did that, does that stuff come later for you? Uh, that actually, yeah, it came up when we started the writer's pod. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's talk about that. How did you find all of these people, uh, and why was this the team? Um, so we had some people that were given to us as just people the Cartoon Network knows as writers. I think Justin was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the so, first person well, that look, we interviewed was Lindsay. Okay, sorry, we can go with however you want to go. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about that since you bring it up. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Justin... You've worked on a bunch of these animated shows and non-animated shows. Um, where were you uh, when you came into this show? How were you uh, in the pocket of Big Cartoon Network? Uh, <laughs> why are they trying to promote you? How Man. much do they own you? Uh, I was so excited that they owned me at that point. Uh, yeah, I think, <laughs> I guess my like uh, career, uh, creative career to that point was was very much like self-driven by like, I need to make a new thing every uh, three to six months. So it was like, I, I had worked in a uh, stop motion a little bit uh, through like Stupid Buddy, like the people who mostly are known for Robot Chicken, but they do other stuff. And I had made a like a web series there and I worked at Funny or Die and like came from like more of a comedy background through like UCB and 
podcasts. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think uh, I, I always really loved animation and I, I basically was just constantly pitching my own shows. And so I went to Cartoon Network and there was an initiative which is what Close Enough, I think, was like kind of leading, which was like an adult animation initiative through Cartoon Network producing shows, uh, yeah. as far as I know. And so I had mm -hmm. pitched uh, somebody at, who at the time was at Cartoon Network, Katie Krentz, and she uh, was super enthusiastic about a pitch of mine. Um, and it was a sci-fi pitch, an adult animated comedy. And so I brought in like a, a kid's show as well. But uh, I think... From what I understand after the fact, at least from some of the development people is what they told me is that they, they would throw my name in the hat. So I actually like interviewed for one job and didn't get it with uh, Maddie's current boyfriend, uh, Toby Jones. Uh, but I met Toby through not getting a job. Uh, and, and, uh, but, Look, he can uh, only give almost all of us jobs, not everyone. Let's be honest, you know, Mike Mitchell's a dream. <laughs> uh, yeah. but uh, who is the person who got that job uh, a friend of ours but basically through that I got recommended uh, and so I think I was like just kind of yeah what Owen said recommended through that avenue mm -hmm. gotcha. all right that makes sense um and and uh Owen had you did you read Justin is that was that your process mm -hmm. the you know a sort of typical process and yeah do you remember what it was that you read and what it was that jumped out at you yeah Justin Justin wrote the one about was it old, old people on the moon. Old people moon. Old people moon. There was no on that. It was just old people moon. <laughs> I mean, it was like, hey, here are the three key words. It's about elderly people living on the moon in the future, where we just discard them by rocketing them to the moon. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, person liked a backpack draft. That was what. Yeah, sold. that was funny too. It yeah, was um, came out. A backpack draft. Uh, a group of firefighters who deal exclusively in backpack-related fires. Yeah. <laughs> like a backdraft parody, but there's yeah. a backpack. Yeah. you know. I don't I know why that wasn't obvious to me. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah, the, the name Spell just it out, Ben. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it's out there uh, to watch uh, on Vimeo, and it, it, you know, it's, it's got at least 700 views. <laughs> it's certainly it's, under a thousand <laughs> with everybody that works on our crew it's very much i think a big thing is the interview and justin's interview was fine <laughs> but moreover <laughs> but i mean it, it was justin after the interview was over like justin was really excited about it because I, th I think you had to watch the pot no you watched Oh, because we boarded we the first watched episode. The I watched a, like an animatic or a board mm -hmm. yeah. of a, a pilot that you kind of had made that actually parts of it became part of episode five, the, the cast. Yeah. Yeah. And so I remember that like you, after the uh, pitch was over, you sent this email that was like 8,000 pages long <laughs> of yeah. just like, oh, what if this happened? Oh, and you could do this and this. And then it was just like Justin being like really excited. And we were like, all right, yeah. It's fun. And then, uh, yeah, we liked Justin. Justin's funny. Ideas are very valuable. And yes. he had a lot of them. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there was no filter. Uh, and it was it, it was kind of a 
risk <laughs> that I was like, fuck, that interview didn't go great. Uh, so you know what? I'm never I may never get this job. So why not just send I was really excited about the show. I saw the pilot short and I was like, I I this is like my favorite thing that could exist right now. I would love to be a part of it. That doesn't always like kind of land on your doorstep, you know, job wise. Like I'm down to take whatever. I wasn't employed consistently. Uh but so to work on something I, I really was excited to work on was like, okay here's everything I got, uh, which I just looked at that email again, and it is 8,000 uh, paragraphs. <laughs> <laughs> but it does talk about like a lot about like trauma and generational trauma yeah. and following different characters for different seasons, which I was like, oh, there was more in there that kind of became you know, mm-hmm. DNA of the show that you guys probably also had in mind uh, to some extent already. Interesting. Um, well, I, I want to pick up there uh, when we come back. So then Lindsay was the next brought on, is that right? Well, Lindsay was actually the first one, I think. The first. I think we hired, technically they all were hired at the same time okay. or something, but yeah, <laughs> Lindsay was the first, I think Lindsay was the first interview that we ever did, I think, <laughs> right? I think so. Yeah. Lindsay was the first interview that we ever did, and um, Lindsay was funny. I liked Lindsay's script about, was it a camp? The summer camp? Summer camp. Summer camp. Yeah. It was funny. Uh, and we, <laughs> we learned about Lindsay through, was it Mike, Mike Mitchell? Actually, yeah, yeah Mike, Mike Mitchell. Mitchell, who got the job instead of Justin on <laughs> yeah. Toby Jones' current boyfriend project. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Lindsay, he where... then passed my stuff on okay. to Toby because I knew Mike from, um, I never call him that. I knew Mitch from, uh, <laughs> UCB stuff. I've okay. been doing improv and sketch for a long time. That's where... That was all I was doing before getting this job. And I was also working uh, social media at a software company. Yeah. So this was your first TV gig, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, tell me everything about stepping into that. Um, first, I'm curious about um, the sample that you had that the that these folks read. Um, what Was it an animated sample? What was it that they read? And why did you write that sample? It was an animated sample. Uh, I wrote it mostly to have a sample (laughs) to get a job, but uh, it's also a project that I would love to make at some point if that were to happen. Uh, Yeah, it just happened to be animated. I didn't really have a specific goal of going into animation, although I love it. I had no idea what that process was. I mostly learned about writing from this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like everything hey. I know about the industry, I, I learned by listening to this podcast. And um, so I had no idea what the process was for animation. I just happened to have this animated script that has kids in it, but that I was also more of like a Bob's Burgers level, like kind of family friendly, but like absurdist and wacky. And um, I had it two-thirds of the way done and then mike mitchell (laughs) through my boyfriend uh had like sent out like hey if anybody's got stuff i know some shows that are being greenlit and and so it was just 24 hours of "Ah!" (laughs) i have to finish this uh i already had a sketch packet and uh really wanted to have this finished script as well and so i got it done and sent it in and it got me an interview. That's great. Um, having only learned from a pretend podcast, um, how did you, (laughs) 
How did you feel about that interview? How did you feel? I mean, you you had been a performer. You'd gone through UCB and stuff. So I, feel, yeah. I imagine you were pretty comfortable with that aspect of it. Um, yeah. So I... Uh, but what about going into the writer's room for the first time? What did you feel like were the expectations of you? I had no idea. I was trying not to get too stressed about it. Um, and I think because I've done improv for so long, I was like not too, too stressed. I was like, well, this is what's going to teach me is a writer's room. Um yeah, I really just, from having read scripts and listened to other people's experience, but everybody's experience is somewhat different, but I really do think that this experience is unique in itself. So apart from not having worked in the industry before, I don't know that ever, anything would feel quite like this again. Um, I it was just a lot of getting to know you stuff the first week. And I think that that was really, really helpful to like getting acclimated. And sure. I feel like it, you guys jump in if you disagree, but I feel like we created the writer's room feeling together, mm -hmm. um, yeah. which is, I think you'd be hard pressed to find shows where the creator is as open to the staff writers um, contributing to the whole idea of what the like show feels like. I feel um, like something to point out is that I think of the five of us, Justin's the only one who'd actually been in a writer's room before. <laughs> yeah. Fair, can I point out, it was never like a consistent job. Like this was very much like a first writer's room. room yeah. Job. It was all for me also new for all of us. Um, well, let's, let's talk to Alex and then I want to pick up there. Um, uh, Alex, where were you uh, when you got this call? Uh, I was in Fargo, <laughs> North Dakota. Um, <laughs> as, as is the story, uh, I suppose, with many people uh, on this show, uh, I was friends with Toby Jones. I had been friends with Toby Jones. <laughs> Boyfriend, Toby Jones. Uh, <laughs> we, should we get to him on clear, here? <laughs> I had been friends with him since eighth grade. He is also from Fargo. Um, and so we would uh, write and film things for local access TV or for, you know, doing video essays because it's better to film a video essay than it is to write an essay for a history project. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, local things. Uh, we worked a little bit on, you know, really low fan-made sort of comics. Um, and then he ended up getting a job on regular show, which, you know, I still kept in touch with him because we were friends and we would always talk. And then uh, he was pitching AJ's Infinite Summer, which is a short that you can watch on YouTube. It's a very funny uh, gag short. It's, it's great. Um, during one of the iterations of pitchings, which there's many, uh, and sometimes things fail and they get brought back and, there's lots of different steps to it. Um, they were looking, he was looking for people to help him write with premises. I was given the shot to help him write premises. It didn't get the show. So maybe I didn't do a very good job. <laughs> 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 that was just sort of the very first start. But at that point I was not specifically looking to be a writer. So I don't, I don't know if you should follow my model. It was very much, I was writing things on my own. I was writing short stories because I thought they were fun to send friends. Maybe we would write something to film to 
show in front of 60 people at the Fargo Theater. That's what I was doing. I was working at a call center. Uh, And then when this show was being made, Toby knew that Owen was looking for writers outside of just the normal circle just to see a bunch of stuff. He said, do you have anything to send to him? I went, sure. And I put a couple things in there, uh, really not thinking anything was going to happen of it. Um, Then we got the interview. Uh, In the interview, uh, we talked about quantum leap and sliders. And I think that helped a lot. Uh, Mine, we talked about saying, Star Trek Voyager. Yeah. So <laughs> there's, a, there's a theme. The entire time, I yeah. <laughs> yeah. Justin was just unconscious on the couch for most of it. But he had all those ideas later, so it's fine. I was dreaming them up. <laughs> uh, Sorry, but it basically Alex. was uh, a pack up your stuff and come out here in two weeks. Um, but also, when in doing it, the show was not picked up. It was still yeah. in developmental. It was a was it like a night? It was I don't know what it was called. Developmental or developmental. Right. Pod. Yeah, yeah, development or writers pod. They were calling it a writers pod. Yeah, yeah, writers. Like two months or eight weeks of like, hey, flesh it out with writers, right? And then we'll see mm-hmm. yeah. if it's greenlit. Yep. Yeah, wow. and it was it was made very clear to me um, that this show might not get picked up. there's this is just development uh Mm -hmm. and so i moved out here sort of with the expectation of not knowing if it was going to be a show or not and with a very good chunk of my thought believing that it was not going to be a show Uh, i was going to get paid to do this and then i would move back to fargo and then i would have a fun uh story to tell people you know in the decades (laughs) to come you know technically i was paid by cartoon network for a little bit um they did get picked up So let's talk about that that uh, writer's pod. Um, it seems like that's where you know the start, the show started to resemble the thing that we got to see on TV. Um, yeah. And I'm curious about you know working with this group and and everyone's input. Like, what do you remember from those first couple months? And how did the how did the show start to take shape? The first thing that I think of is fidget spinners. <laughs> they were very. If you, want, if you want a time period. <laughs> It was the summer really fidget the spinner. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was also just going to say a joke. I was going to say going to see The Mummy with Tom Cruise in the middle of the uh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say That's Valerian. Not a joke, though. We did that. <laughs> yeah, Valerian yeah. rules. <laughs> I mean, I can't think of another job where it was like, well, we've come up with enough episodes. Let's wander to the Burbank Mall and see The Mummy. <laughs> pretty much we all like the same kind of bad movie yeah Yeah. i mostly just remember it was just so fun it was yeah Yeah. not like now no it's a (laughs) it felt felt very free it felt very like like we had a rough skeleton of what the show was going to be but a lot of i feel like that that writer's pod thing was getting to know each other understanding people's sensibilities and then also like sort of fleshing out what the world was and what the rules were, even though we, in our heads, we're only doing those 10 episodes. We're still like, well, but everything has to have certain rules. So you can do this or this or this. And so it actually made it slightly easier by the time we got to the second season, because we'd already established all this world stuff, even though it wasn't maybe in the show exactly. We already knew a lot of that stuff laid out because of this, this early Oh, that's interesting. I'm I'm curious to hear about how those rules took shape. 
like you had said, you had like this sort of 10 episode ideas. So it just became about filling in the rest of the idea. And then that just inevitably sparked more ideas. And we would, it was just a lot of like, oh, what if this? I like that. And then everybody just like piling up on top of, um, other people's ideas. It There's just also felt very a lot natural. of like philosophical stuff that we were talking about where, where, because, you know, we were dealing with like a kid who's going through divorce. It was a lot of like, okay, so we're going to be talking about divorce. This is going to be a show that kids are going to watch. <laughs> like how, what are the actual themes that come out of a person and like themes that you need to understand about yourself after an experience like this? And like going through, like, you should learn something about this and something sort of like this and something sort of like this. And then we would try to make each episode sort of hit one of those points. And then we sort of, I feel like, establish the rules of the world through that in a way. Yeah, it felt like a combo. I remember like when I got hired, I was, I think it was like, I found out when I was at like my best friend's bachelor party. Uh, and so I was at like a cabin in, in Big Bear and I remember Owen sent an email, uh, pretty much it was like, you're going to be working or maybe it was like, I knew our, our start date was like right after this weekend. And so I took some time aside while people were like, you know, celebrating because you asked a question that was like pretty emotional and just like, Hey, what were like emotional experiences you had when you were, uh, you know, a kid or like when you were like four, you know, up to like the range of like 14, I think. Um, but I, I remember like brainstorming more personal anecdotal emotional stuff, uh, from the forefront. Cause I remember all the stuff I sent to you ahead of time was like very genre-y, very like it could go in this direction, bigger picture ideas, but from the start, it felt emotional. And we came in with like your outline, but then it was like, for the most part it worked, but it was like what you were pretty open to like, what doesn't work? What, what can we lose? And I think that's how we like restructured an episode. Uh, for the first season and and also mm-hmm. talked about the bigger pictures like what is the train how does it work exploring every avenue of like what a fan might explore now pretty much yeah we had, like you know a hundred different versions of it and kind of sat with it you know even if we settled on one and every for every episode that we worked on in the development well first they they presented us with like a whole bunch of questions about <laughs> the emotion <laughs> like So we went to a meeting and all the executives gave notes and then a writer's assistant within the, like an executive assistant within the meeting wrote down all the questions. And then we received that in an email, like we would like these questions answered. And we took that very literally and wrote like a 16 pages, page document. (laughs) Yes. It was so long. We spent so much time talking about it and fleshing everything out and trying to make things as clear as possible (laughs) for the executives. And like to the point where we had like every single episode had, here's the emotional core of the story. Here's where she is emotionally when she starts out. Here's where she is emotionally by the end of the episode. Here's the lesson that gets her there. Here's the context. Here's the subtext. Here's, and it was the longest fucking document. (laughs) And we were like, oh, we did it. After like, I feel like two weeks of work. And they were like, this is so long. (laughs) 
But that's also Can you work just that give needs us to be done. Some, like these yeah. five questions and we realized by the end that that the questions we got they didn't want every single one answered. It was sort of more like a so this is what's on our mind and we got a nice to know that. Yes, it was like <laughs> So by the end, we were like, oh, I can't believe we wrote so much. But also, <laughs> then we had everything so set in yeah. our heads. It did really solidify it things. It did help. I mean, it I, came up in season three, I feel like, was in there. Uh, mm-hmm. really, kind of elements of it, which, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's kind of crazy how many ideas came from that initial pod. I mean, on, I the, think- on top of the emotional things, though, too, um, you know, there's the emotional journey, which it was really constructed backwards from what Tulip needed. Uh, but then it was also sort of brought in that, you know, it, at least to me with the numbers on there, I didn't know about anything that happened before I got on the show. To me, the numbers were always a part of it. And so in discussions, I'm, I'm a fan of math. Uh, I'm not necessarily good at math, but I'm, I find it interesting. And so along with the emotional thing, we got in the really uh, clunky math angle of, of the train to set the rules and that really established early on for us as well that I don't know if people knew that we knew it even back in the first book um, that the train was always fallible. The, the train is not was, was not ever intended to be a perfect um, benevolent force that actually knew things. The very fact that this machine is assigning a number to emotional growth, while it does help people, um, it can cause a lot of problems and in designing those systems designing the sort of clunky math that goes into being assigned to emotions that really helped springboard what ended up happening in season two and then season three um but that was always sort of the thing from the beginning so it was that contrast of making sure we have the emotional beats of the character through it fighting with the really purposely clunky mathematical rules of, of, of a machine. That's really interesting. I mean, it feels in a lot of ways like season one is this perfect pilot that, you know, and, and I'm talking about all of season one where you're setting up the rules, you're setting up, you're giving it this great emotional depth so that we're invested in this world and these characters. And then season two, you get to play with that a little bit. You get to go deeper uh, in both the mythology, but also in the emotions. Um, at what point did you know a second season was happening and were you prepared for it? Um, I think while we were working on it, we were like, oh, it'd be cool if you kind of did like a story like this too. Oh, wow, we got 10 episodes. And like, that's what would that's what would happen. And uh, we just kept sort of being like, oh, that's fun. And then just sort of shelve it, whatever. Um, and then... We, well, that was before we got brought on. That was like you, Cole, and Maddie, right? Because we knew when we came on that there were 20 we, episodes. I think we only knew about 10, but when so. it was we greenlit, found, we found out that there were yeah. picked up 20. Oh, that was what it yeah, was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, right, 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 right. Right. So we only we only found 10 out. 10 half hours? Is that what the... Yeah. Yeah. We only found out like after, after we'd done all this work on the 10... And we're like, here it is, done. They're like, cool, we'll give you 20 episodes. And we're like, um, okay. <laughs> um, well, we we kind of like finished it. Uh. Yeah, it's, it's really, really <laughs> satisfying. <laughs> it's really satisfying when you get a story just down to its like core elements. And like, here it is, 10 episodes, it's tight. There's no like wandering around. It's like, there it is, a story. You know, it's very satisfying. So it's like, 
we didn't really want to like just pad it out. So that's how it ended up becoming an anthology show is that we thought, well, like, okay, well, there's subjects in here that we would love to go a little more in depth on that we never got to really do that in only 10 episodes. So, uh, yeah, we just went for it. I don't know why we didn't follow my uh, original email vomit idea after my interview of following Tulip's grandma in one season, her <laughs> granddaughter in another season, and how they continue to experience emotional trauma because it's generational. <laughs> a real sad <laughs> story. We get to yeah, that later. Because <laughs> then we have a whole thing where it's like, oh, well, Infinity, the train itself would cause the existence of it in the first place causes a trauma because it would be we like, kidnap a child we kidnap a child <laughs> and, and then that child is gone in real time yeah we kidnap yeah. a lot of people send them away and then you never see them again and then they never see their families and then some of them never come back and well, some of them and they're them. having a fight for their life on the train yeah, yeah. I mean, we pretty clearly, like when we talked about stuff in that pod, it was like, okay, are these like Wizard of Oz rules where it was kind of a dream? And all of us were like, no, it's kind of a, a, a you know, a cheap escape hatch. Yeah. Uh, like this yeah. should all be happening in the real world. But I don't think the execs knew that. And I remember when we pitched season two, uh, or maybe it was even the end of season one when, I guess, spoiler, yes. you know, you see Tulip leaving and she doesn't have a reflection. Uh, which was sort of like a clue that we'd be following her reflection. Uh, the idea that like, it was like, wait, so she goes back in the real world and they were worried about her and like people just don't know where their kids are. Like she was missing. Uh, and I think they were mm-hmm. excited about it kind of like fans would be, which was really fun to kind of entice. They were, I remember them being horrifying. shocked. I remember yeah. being absolutely shocked because it was like we had this... As yeah, they should they asked, be. It's asked, shocking. So, so the kids, she was just gone for like, four months or something and I was like yeah and they were like oh and then the room just felt kind of sad <laughs> like everybody everybody sort of like looked at their hands and like okay yeah everyone just sat with that like oh. yeah, yeah so I think everyone is used to after. <laughs> everyone is used to stories that really wrap everything up and yeah. that that was sort of contrary to even the emotional things that we had in the show that yeah getting over problems is something that continues. It's not, per, mm-hmm. you know, forever fixed. And so the idea that, yes, she was gone for months. Wait, she doesn't have a reflection? Correct. Isn't that going to cause problems? Yes, it will. Probably, or at yeah. the end, <laughs> wow, Lake is in the real world now. Isn't that going to cause problems that she's chrome? Yes, it is. Yeah. She has new things that she's going to now. But the goal in our story was not to have basically be the end of the character forever that they're never going to experience problems it was dealing with the problem that they had and the understanding that there's always going to be problems but you Mm -hmm. use the things that you you know learn along the way yeah yeah and i think it's that that groundedness or that you know focus on the emotional story that that sets this show apart from shows that it might be compared to uh that raises it above you know a typical show um so that sort of gives you, it seems like that engine for season two um, was a natural extension. How do you come into season three? That was a little uh, bit harder. I think um, yeah. it sort of stemmed from we had unintentionally kind of set up this pattern of like you introduce a character and then you follow that character with MT. Uh, originally, when we pitched season two, it was more because we thought it would be easier to wrap people's heads around the idea of like, well, you already met this character. So now you just follow that character instead of something else we talked about is like a true anthology thing of like, 
anybody at any time on this train. That could be the main character. But Mm -hmm. in the beginning, we wanted to ease people into it. So it started with MT. And then it's like, oh, well, this kind of is a fun format where, oh, who's that? Who's that off in the corner? Are they going to be the character? Uh, And so you meet Grace and Simon in book two. And they're not so great. Uh, And (laughs) I think uh, the fun part of that is the challenge uh, to make some truly unlikable characters you have to sympathize with them at some point. Uh-huh. And like, they're still human, unfortunately, uh, at the beginning at, for MT, unfortunately they're real. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of season three is just about making them fully fleshed out three dimensional characters. Like, even though you don't agree with the things they do, unfortunately you can still empathize with them and see where they're coming from. Sure. That was but we also, decided on who we were going to follow in two and three very quickly and easily together Mm -hmm. it was just like oh mt's cool i would like to what if this story happened with her and then we just really liked the idea of these kids worshiping um the fake conductor Mm -hmm. and we we're all on the same page like right away and so then it it didn't even have to become like well who's the story about it was just like well what's their story almost as if we hive mind we all chose together <laughs> i think we pitched lost children even back in the first season mm-hmm. as yeah. just uh, when we were just throwing out wild ideas and then we didn't use it because mm-hmm. we wanted it to be focused on tulip and seeing any other passenger before amelia uh would have would have hurt that reveal so that there's lots of ideas that got recycled from way back in the beginning that was just thrown out there and it was also also really important like to make sure that this show was a show about like repercussions like if something happens it's not erased in the next episode that thing still happened so how do you deal with that and that's also part of like our whole themes with you know change and all that sort of stuff and then each season itself becomes a repercussion. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. two happens because of one, three happens because of two, because of one. So, mm-hmm. and I think in a meta way, we also were like challenging ourselves. Like aside from all that kind of organically happening, it was like, okay, how do we keep it interesting and new for our ourselves? Because we we didn't want to mm-hmm. do the same thing every season. So like. We did have early, I mean, like I had I looked through my old notebook right before this and I was like, oh, in season one, we talked about the number king who became Amelia, who became this cult mm-hmm. of the conductor leader, you know, like there were like ideas written down. But I think we originally season two or book two was uh, MT was supposed to be more of a straight up villain uh, for, for yeah. a lot of it until we were like, oh, but like we like her. We, we really love her and want her to succeed in the end. And, and it felt kind of shitty to give her uh, a, a bad ending just to satisfy kind of uh, her being a villain. So we were like, well, what if yeah. we start with a villain in the third season? The thing that we kind of didn't do in the second season. Yeah, um, Something and, we know. talked about for MT when we were like, she's a villain was, and I, <clears throat> I remember, I think, trying to maybe hold on to this for longer than the rest of the room. That MT was gonna try was going to somehow steal a little girl's number, and then the little girl was gonna have to team up with one one to find MT to get her number back. Oh yeah, yeah. and I really liked um, 
that idea. And I feel like all of the villain stuff that we had been thinking about, about with MT became Simon and Grace. Yeah. yeah. Although she does. I mean, I don't know. It's implied, but like. Well, MT has a moment her, where she's trying like to she's steal a number. A <laughs> yeah. She did kind of uh, ostensibly maybe kill that, that dude. Uh, top of the train although maddie has a different explanation yeah. for it yeah i would I say how he's getting off the top of that train look alan dracula's already up in the sky he could just come down help that guy out it's that yeah. simple yeah so if i a think kid that actually bad that... if they can hear that this is exactly that how our another... writers room works <laughs> go ahead alex well i was say that i think that does go into something that's a little <clears throat> bit interesting in the sense that um we have certain rules for the train we have certain things that we all agree on but because some of these things are emotional or intention-based, uh, even the room doesn't always agree on specific things that we see in the text of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, a prime example at the fights. end of the book. Well, there's <laughs> fights about it, but even, yeah. even in like the final product of how we interpreted the way things were, uh, you know, at the end of, of season two, uh, with the way that one one was talking about you're a denizen of course you're here to help and then the way he ended up you know getting out of the logic loop i think that all of us have varying degrees on where we believe one one lied was he trying to be helpful and looking for a way an excuse to help her or was he truly cold and calculating and really only cared about saving the train and was disinterested in if she actually got off Mm. we all wrote the show we all look at the text of the show. It's made. And even within the writer's room, we don't necessarily 100% agree on the intentions of the characters. Yeah, like we've written stuff where it's like, oh, and here is one, not Owen. Oh, and here is <laughs> very common, common problem. problem. One, one. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised how many times I call my dog Edwin Owen. <laughs> so one one this is one one's thinking and like the room agrees it's this and then while i'm writing it i'm like but secretly it's this like <laughs> i don't agree gotcha. with what the room has chosen like very specific i'm like i'm writing the words that i was told but in the back of my mind i know it's really this <laughs> we've had cannons within our own show yeah mm-hmm. I think that's like the emotional core of the show is like uh, perspective and empathy, you know, driving things like the way that you view a character is like, I don't know, I think of them as like family members who like some people in my family have cut off certain people because they need to set a boundary and some people are still trying to be, you know, make a relationship with them, but neither person is wrong. They have to do what's right for them. And I feel like it's, that's the way I view the complicated characters on our show. Um, You know, some of us are setting boundaries and some of us are like, nah, but we still love them. We like peddling in a bit of the ambiguity. Like we like having that there. We don't want everything to be explained all the time. Like we generally have a rough idea of what it is in our heads, but like, I like it when it's like, no, you just think about it. You think about it. <laughs> like there was a big, I think mean, about it now even, your in, even in <clears throat> uh, storyboard meetings uh, and pitches, like when we'd all be in a room, everybody was like, but Simon is good because this and this and that. And we're like, no, Simon is bad. And we're all <laughs> making it together, but we still disagree about whether we love the characters. Yeah, the crew's reaction was actually <clears throat> deeply influential. I feel like a lot mm-hmm. of animated shows, like at least writers, do not interact with uh, most of the rest of the crew. Like, at least in my experience, talking to other writers, uh, it's not as integrated an environment. And it was so cool to like, 
grow a big family, but also get the initial audience feedback from people who cared about the show, but didn't know about it. And like, would give us perspective just uh, since we were making it for so long without it coming out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, I think on like on live shows, you'll hear these anecdotes where shows that go on for a lot of seasons, it's like, oh yeah, we saw that background actor in episode one and he had a distinctive look. So we kept putting him in stuff. And anyway, so now he's a main character and it just like evolved that way. And with this show, it's like we'd write the first few scripts and then we'd go to a storyboard pitch and the storyboard artist would show us everything. And there would be stuff in the pitch, like even just the way they had a character move or an expression that the character mm-hmm. had, that then we would go almost like, oh, now we know a little bit more about that character. Like just the way that like Grace would yeah. move. Now I know... I'm like, oh, so she'd act like that. And I write her to that a little more. So the the process um, is a little more like condensed because of that. But it's like an immediate effect it has on the writing. It's very mm-hmm. funny because I think uh, the Grace one, I think, is the one that stands out the most to me. Where it's like there's one point where Grace is talking to Jesse. And the way while she's talking to him, she does like this spin twirl. like a pirouette yeah. type, this twirl that kelly put in there kelly the board artist was working on that scene uh and she just put a twirl in there and because of that single little twirl that she put in there it like affected grace's personality throughout the entire rest of like season three like we had so even, much even stuff her backstory was, yeah her yeah. backstory like everything <laughs> became based just because kelly there's put a in dance a spin. car <laughs> yeah, in like, season spin. three yeah because Grace, we decided Grace had a dancing background. Yeah. And then Jacob uh, added Jesse smelling his hands throughout the season. Yeah. <laughs> As a recurring thing that he did. And that really uh, played into... Uh, well, it did. <laughs> we, we, asked, we asked Jacob, we're like, Jacob, why do you keep drawing Jesse smelling his hands all the time? And he's like, oh, I just think he's like a really experiential sort of person. And uh, so he'd be like smelling his hands, and that's that's what he used. And we were like, I'm, yeah, all right, like, sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah, all right, yeah, that makes sense. I feel like yeah, being a board artist at least is also being a, a good actor. Uh, essentially, yeah. you have to be a writer mm-hmm. and actor for a lot of shows. But I think yeah, I imagine in our show, if you're coming from a board-driven show, it's maybe more constrained or confined, uh, you know, a little bit because you don't get to write the words. But uh, I feel like it maybe it was like a limitation breeds creativity, like finding other opportunities to uh, explore things in a more specific way. I, I don't know, but uh, it felt like everybody was bringing a lot of character depth to things that we didn't necessarily even uh, think of visually. Yeah, I mean, it's and it definitely became a part of the writing. When you when you choose who the storyboard artists are going to be like. Often it's just sort of like, oh, well, you know, that's the next person in rotation. But a lot of times it is something where it's like, oh, I specifically think that this storyboarding team should work on this episode. And same thing happens with the writers where it's sort of like, you know, each of you brings a different sort of tone and a different sort of feeling to the, the, the script. So it's sort of like this person should probably do this one and this person should probably draw it. And like, it's just sort of it's casting the story, basically. <clears throat> Which is, you know, that that's the dream on on any show, right? Is you want a diversity of voices, a diversity of yeah. ways of thinking, um, all yeah. up and down the line, because you don't know where great ideas are going to come from. Um, yeah. And this show has a lot of great ideas. 
Um, season Thank three, uh, as of this um, release, is out. People can watch it on HBO Max. Um, uh-huh. Ten episodes again? Yes. yes. Yep. Ten episodes. Um, and you can also watch seasons one and two on HBO Max. So if you haven't checked out Infinity Train, go check it out there. We will end, as we always do, by asking you what you are watching on television these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your friends, your loved ones, Toby Jones, whoever's in your life? Um, <laughs> Lindsay, let's start with you. Ah, dang it. Um, I'm Well, right now I am... Uh, like watching I'm visiting my mom right now we both got COVID tests it's very safe um so I'm having her watch Star Trek Next Generation because she never watched that she watched all the other ones and uh Murder She Wrote I'm always watching Murder She Wrote now and then yeah yeah. Uh, Yeah. I just finished binging all of Summer Camp Island um we talked about Murder She Wrote in my interview actually as well (laughs) Maddie for my birthday got me all like 12 seasons of Murder, She Wrote on DVD. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Didn't want to uh, that's fine. So I, I finished binging Summer Camp Island, also on HBO Max, also a Cartoon Network show. Um, it's so good. I love it so good. much. It's just like the sweetest, funniest show. And, um, and then I'm also having my mom watch The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan <laughs> It's good, and I don't know anything about basketball. Which is fantastic storytelling. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All good answers. Uh, Alex, what are you watching? Uh, I just recently finished a full watch through of I Dream of Genie, along with the two made-for-TV movies. (laughs) Uh, I am currently... Part way, I love classic all of TV. our Zoom call. The last time we did a Zoom yeah, hangout, that was like Alex was just telling Alex. us the two <laughs> I Dream of Genie single. movies. There was a lot, a lot to learn about there I Dream was. of Genie. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in I Dream of Genie. Fifteen years later, and I still dream of Genie. Uh, there's a lot of character development, and there's a lot of character backpedaling. Um, I'm also. <laughs> I started watching Swans Crossing. Uh, which was a teen drama from the early 90s that ran for four months. And it stars a young Sarah Michelle Geller. And there's a girl who his lives... right now. I feel that listeners should know that Ben is just shaking his head. <laughs> no, I don't. I'm surprised I don't know that. Like, what? <laughs> there's a girl who lives in a submarine in it. Uh, <laughs> oh, I do remember this. <laughs> and it's played completely straight. Yep. It's... It's not a joke or a gag. It's just like, it's yeah, you know how some girls are the rich, mean girls, and some girls <laughs> live in a submarine and have a motorcycle. <laughs> that, that classic trope. <laughs> and uh, I guess finally what I'm looking forward to, uh, as always, just to hit all the, the gimmicks, um, I'm mm-hmm. very much looking forward to the next season of Power Rangers. I'm a Power Rangers completionist. I have mm-hmm. seen every season, and we are currently under the ownership of Hasbro. And I'm very excited to see where they take uh, the direction of the franchise. Uh, I think they already took good steps in Beast Morphers, and I look to see uh, what's going to keep happening with that. So there's there's the eclectic taste of uh, sitcoms and Power Rangers and teen dramas. These are all completely normal viewing habits. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Justin, what are you watching? Uh, Also, Last Dance, which uh, I didn't expect that I would even be into, but damn, it's incredible. Uh, Yeah. uh, It's weird how much basketball knowledge you absorb as a child who doesn't follow sports but grew up then. But otherwise, I May Destroy You uh, is... Oh, I'm watching that as well. It's really, I mean, it's like funny and heartbreaking. 
Um, but I really love that. And uh, I, I went pretty quickly through the season three of Search Party. I, I'm a big fan of Search Party, uh, which also kind of has, it's not an anthology show, but it feels like each season is very contained. Uh, and there, it's, it's another show with like repercussions, which I don't know, it like toes that comedy drama line that I'm like, ooh, that's just scratching an itch for me. Uh, and my... <laughs> I don't know. My comfort food is always like uh, like Batman, the animated series. I'm I'm watching that and uh, been watching uh, Doom Patrol, which is fun. Yeah. Good answers. Uh, Maddie, what are you watching? Um, currently just finished watching a few things. Well, finished, caught up on Riverdale, caught up on Katie Keene. And um, also finished a rewatch of Star Trek Voyager. We're just reliving Lindsay's interview all over again. <laughs> uh, and but uh, I'm kind of sad because uh, we're watching it for like three years, watching it very slowly, and now it's over. And I'm like, oh, if only there were uh-huh. other Star Trek. Boy, um, <laughs> oh well, they never made anymore. Uh, <laughs> Um, also rewatching the Simpsons currently in season six started from the beginning. So good still. Um, uh, uh, watching anime, watching fruits basket, catching up with that and my teen romantic comedy snafu, the new season's coming out. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I feel like, uh, that's most of it. Yeah. Those are good answers. Uh, Owen, what are you watching on television? Uh, my two main things that I've been watching are every season of RuPaul's Drag Race and oh, Drag yes. Race All Stars. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we, ran we into each other at Drive and Drag. Yeah, we went to Drive and Drag. Like <laughs> my wife and I went to Drive and Drag. We got to watch uh, the the stars of RuPaul's Drag Race do their thing in a drive-in theater kind of thing. And uh, Justin and I yelled at each other through our windows because <laughs> yeah. we couldn't hear each other. Uh, and uh, I've also been watching The Terror on it's so good. from AMC. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I watched the first, the first season of the, of the Terror and it was just like, it, it's, it's very, very good. I highly recommend The Terror. Uh, the first season's very good. It's so well-researched. It's one of, those, one of those shows where you're watching it and you're just like, wow, you have a lot of terminology and you don't explain it to me. That means it's well researched, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's it's it just feels very um, kind of like that movie Insomnia, in a way where like if you ever saw Insomnia, it's one of those movies where you watch it and you're like, God, I am so tired. This makes me so tired, and just this constant like push. Oh no, that's worse. Oh no, that's so much worse now. Uh, and then so I'm part of the way through the second season, which is. Uh, a ghost story in a Japanese internment camp, which uh, it's the first time I've ever seen a Japanese internment camp in a TV show, you know, like not as, not as like a documentary or something that happened, but like a, like, okay, now we're going to have the setting be this Japanese internment camp in California. And it's like, it's very upsetting. Uh, Anyway, I highly recommend it. (laughs) It's so upsetting. I highly recommend it. Yeah, <laughs> what we we all what we all want right now is to be more upset and more tired. So thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> uh, if I could just like piggyback off of that and say I am also watching I May Destroy You, and it is playing like three D chess on issues of sexual consent. It's very good. 
it's incredible it's so nuanced yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, all of these are recommended. This is this is a great list of uh, things for people to watch during their isolation. Thank you all so much for chatting today. Uh, I would urge people Thank to go you. check out Infinity Train, all three seasons. Um, and good luck. I can't wait for seasons four, five, and six. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank yeah. you. Thank you all. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.